0: despite being by far the smallest organization that was asked to tender, despite having no experience running a contract like the National Theatre, I just knew that because our purpose was so clearly defined, we had to be the right partner. And so it was that we won that contract. You know, it's the biggest thing we've ever done.
1: Hi, I'm Beldit Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. Podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I'll be joined by Simon Mitchell, CEO of Curb Foods. He describes how COVID forced them to re-examine who they were and what they were doing in order to save their business and how this put them on a path to realize their purpose in a new and more fundamental way, leading to faster growth and some stunning commercial wins. Simon, welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. Um, You're the CEO of Curb Food. Um, I wonder if you could tell us both a bit about yourself, but also about what Curb Food does.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's quite an interesting business. It's quite a difficult business to explain. We started off as a membership organisation for the best street food vendors in London. My business partner, Petra Barron, formed the company 10 years ago. And the business has evolved over the years to still be a street food market operator. But we see ourselves as much more than that now. We see ourselves actually as a business incubator. And street food trading is just one way we do that. So we also have a very successful event catering company a very large food fall in Covent Garden. We have an education platform and we've just launched a social enterprise. So it's quite a multifaceted business now. But it started off as a platform for street food vendors in London and we've branched out nationally and we will be branching out internationally in the coming months and years.
1: Well, that does sound like you've got a lot going on. Just so I can get a sense of the size of the organization, however you measured, how many people do you have?
0: Well, a year ago um, in head office post-COVID, we had 13 people in our head office and kind of a combined group turnover of somewhere in the region of around 17 million pounds. And right now we're at about 70 people in head office and we're expecting a turnover in the region of 50 million pounds. So we've had huge growth in the last 12 months coming out of the pandemic.
1: Wow, that's enormous growth. There was something you said about how it got started. I just want to make sure I understand what that means. If I remember it right, you said it was started off sort of as a membership thing for street vendors, for you know food. What does that mean to be a membership?
0: So Petra Barron was a street food vendor. She had a chocolate van called Choc Star, Converted Ice Cream Truck. And she noticed that on the streets of London there was some brilliant street food. And actually this is about 12, 13 years ago now. But no one was organising them. No one was championing them. Lots of organisers were taking advantage of street food vendors. And she thought, well, look, we'd be much stronger if we got together and formed a collective. So she pulled together the 20 best vendors in London. It started off as a collective for a couple of years, just kind of collective bargaining, supporting each other, sharing information. And then in 2012, Petra realised that there's a business here and actually made it a membership organisation. So street food vendors pay a very small amount To be a member of Curb. And for that, they get to trade at Curb markets and apply for Curb events and get all the knowledge sharing and the community that goes with that. And actually, the community is a very big part of what we do. You know, it's quite a lonely world being a street food vendor. And actually, being part of Curb, you feel a part of a much bigger organization and there is support there. So, for instance, we help all our members with their health and safety auditing. You know, we can advise them on things like insurance. etc etc
1: in some ways it it sounds a little like a trade body i mean some of the things you're doing there are exactly the sort of thing trade bodies would do that's really interesting
0: there have been times where it has felt like a bit like a trade body you know we've struggled over the years about how to position ourselves as this entity that really champions the street food vendor but also is a commercial entity in its own right and that's why actually what we did coming out of the pandemic was I think quite interesting so we decided to split our business into three so we now have three companies so a business that owns and operates our food hall seven dials market we have a business that is our event catering company which is called curb events limited and curb food the original business is actually now a social enterprise we've relooked at that business and all of the funds generated by our original activities which are market trading education and membership will be re into providing opportunities for underprivileged Londoners in hospitality.
1: Hmm. And I think you mentioned it, but if anybody wanted to find either the food hall or some of your markets, at least here in the UK, you mentioned international, but at least here in the UK, where would they find them? So our flagship kind
0: of fixed site that's open seven days a week is Seven Dials Market, which is Seven Dials, which is right next to Covent Garden our lunch markets have been very slow to reopen coming out of the pandemic you know we need a critical mass back in offices for those to work so we currently have a market open at the gherkin skyscraper in london every thursday and another market at west india Quay, which is adjacent to canary wharf every wednesday and thursday and the wednesday is our incubator market so that's where we blood the really new challenge so every kind of three months we'll have a new cohort of about 12 brand new traders that will go through an educational program and also a trading program. And actually our first batch since COVID graduated today. Really exciting because we haven't been able to run that scheme for two years. And that is really the lifeblood of Curb, how we find the new talent and how we keep that conveyor belt moving. So really delighted to have that market up and running. And it trades quite well because people are interested to find out what's new. And that's the one where you'll find the newest traders on the street.
1: Yeah, yeah, interesting. I'm sure we've touched on it a few times already, but we're gonna sort of delve into what's Curb's purpose. But before we get to that, just when you think about organizational purpose generally, how do you define it? How do you think about it?
0: As a CEO, the purpose has to be at the heart of everything. I've through my career worked for various different companies, and the successful ones are a company that has a purpose. They don't exist just for financial gain. There is something other than financial gain that is motivating everyone in that business to do better and be successful. And I think that's how I would just find purpose as having another goal other than financial gain behind your business.
1: And do you think it's fixed or does it change? I mean, even if you think about Curb, has it been the same throughout?
0: Ours has absolutely evolved. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I joined the company six years ago. And in my time, you know, certainly our purpose has evolved from In the early days, really being about championing those street food vendors and being really identified by street food and (laughs) providing a platform for those vendors. That was our purpose, to give them as many opportunities as possible and to help develop and grow their businesses. Now, very much, we see ourselves as a business incubator and not just for street food vendors, because we've now, with Seven Dials Market and other fixed sites that we now operate... We have the opportunity to blood, food and drink businesses that maybe never traded on the street. Thinking about incubating their careers and developing their careers, as well as just being about our members, was a huge shift in our business about 18 months ago. We were very outward looking and we've kind of made a real decision to look inward as well. And part of our purpose is to develop people's careers and to provide careers and opportunities in hospitality.
1: Mm -hmm. when you think about all that it's sort of got multiple heads it's got a number of different things you're trying to do how do you both manage that but also how did you go about figuring out what it is as it's changed
0: so pre-covid pandemic we'd really struggled kind of on an annual basis to define what we were and what our purpose was and we knew that there was something driving all of us that was more than just financial reward, that we were all motivated by something more than that. But it was always very hard to put your finger on what that was because we were a commercial entity and we were driven by profit, but we all cared and we cared about our industry. We cared about each other. And actually the the pandemic gave us a rather unique opportunity to pause and almost do an audit of our business. And And that's exactly what we did. We did a, a very detailed survey with our senior leadership team of what is our business? What what do we like about it? What do we want to develop? What do we want to lose? What do we want to do more of? And how can we take this opportunity to restructure and move forward with more purpose? And that was a six to 12 month process. And what actually came out of the end of that was that we felt very conflicted between being a commercial entity and actually what a lot of people thought of us was more of a social enterprise. Even though we weren't, a lot of people thought that we had a greater social purpose, you know, almost like being like a trade body, a not-for-profit. So some people looked at us kind of as a not-for-profit. Some people looked at us through our incubator scheme and some of the other schemes we run as a social enterprise. And then we have really quite corporate bits of our business in the corporate event world and in the street food hall world. And there were tensions between the two. You know, this this desire to be a, a successful corporate entity, but also really doubling down on our purpose. So we said, right, well, let's just recognize the fact we do have a very corporate business and we do now have very corporate partners and investors, but we do want to do more. And that's where the idea for our social enterprise came from. If we've got this really corporate events business, which incidentally is partnered with Compass Group, who are a big listed corporate catering company, and we've got a food hall business with you know investors and, and accountability and everything that goes with that, Why don't we make Curb Food, our original company that holds our markets and our education and the stuff where we really do the development and the incubation, why don't we make that a social enterprise? So ring fence it and say, all those pitch fees that we get from market, all the money when you go and spend £10 on your lunch at a street food market, all the membership fees we get from our members, all the courses we sell to people, why don't we put all that money in a pot? and really double down on our purpose. And what we decided to do was ring fence that hire a managing director for that specific part of the business to make it completely accountable to its purpose and its mission. And that social enterprise is now interested with providing opportunities for disadvantaged Londoners to one, gain meaningful employment in hospitality. So we will run a paid extended internship program. Um, where you'll go around all the different facets of our business for a period of weeks with the idea at the end of that internship to get a job in one of our businesses. And the second thing we'll do is, and this is our ultimate game, is to create financial empowerment for people by helping them create their own business. And we will have the funds available to help support them in setting up that business, in mentoring them and giving them those, those opportunities to really you know, create independence for themselves, not just a job, but a career and a life. And we're partnered with various different organizations to refer individuals to us. So obviously with the war at the moment, refugees coming into the country is is something that's on everyone's mind. So we partnered with an organization called TURN, which is a network for refugees to find and identify some people that have a passion for food and cooking and maybe had a food business wherever they used to call home and see if that can be translated into what we do here. We work with ex-offenders through an organization called the Liminality Group, And we work with young offenders as well to give them work experience uh, either during a sentence or possibly in a school holiday to keep them out of trouble and prevent them from offending and various other organisations. And that really has galvanised our whole team behind, right, we can be really corporate, really commercial, really driven over here because we know that's helping to fund this amazing social enterprise over here. Ultimately, as this develops, we're going to put in place schemes whereby Our team all volunteer a certain amount of hours per year into the social enterprise, provide their support almost on a pro bono basis back to the social enterprise. So everyone can feel good about themselves, their job, and know that they're giving back by doing their job. That's the future. You know, it's fine to be, you know, a profitable, driven, hungry, aggressive business, but why can't we also give back at the same time and give back in a meaningful way by leveraging our skills that we're developing on the way to provide opportunities for people? And we're so lucky in what we do that we have so many opportunities. We have so many different roles within our organisation that we can help lots of different people, whether you're you know, a confident person that wants to be front of house or someone that's a bit more shy that wants to be back of house, whether you're suited to an office career or something more adventurous outdoors we can provide with all the kind of field events we do. Longer term, we're going to partner with the brewery we work with, with the distillery we work with, and um, some restaurant and hotel partners as well to create a wider pool of people that can offer opportunities to these people that are being referred to us.
1: Mm-hmm. You mentioned before that you sort of spent some months during the whole sort of COVID pandemic period with, it sounded like a, a sort of senior team having a look at this. Who actually got involved? How many people was it? Did you meet every week or was it some big events more infrequently how did all that work so it kicked off right at the start of
0: the first lockdown so petra our founder had been living in new orleans and was actually out of the business and decided to fly back to london and help out and her and i devised this program that we ran with our leadership team over zoom because obviously it was during the lockdown and we met weekly the team was the heads of each department the person that was head of our event catering business that's now managing director of that business our head of hr our head of finance one of our other co-directors the founder you know the real senior leaders within the group and everyone whether they've been with the company since the start or whether they just joined in the case of our finance director she joined two or three weeks before the pandemic hit it was very new but it was also good to get those fresh eyes as well as the people that had been there for 10 years and everyone had a voice and we sent out a form for everyone to, to complete so it wasn't yeah. completely public and and asked everyone to be as honest as possible and take time because we all had time to really think about how we could reinvent our business coming out of the pandemic when none of us thought it would be as long yeah. as it was that's for sure at the time for us particularly i think the pandemic obviously was disastrous financially and on everyone's mental health but there were some benefits and one of the benefits for us was we were in this huge growth phase of a small business but we were growing hundred percent year on year every year for the four or five years i was at kerb leading up to the pandemic and it was very reactive it was just kind of rolling with the punches and going with the growth and having very little time to stop and pause and think about why are we doing this how can we be a better company how can we be a better employer and the pandemic gave us the real opportunity to pause and think about what was important to us and actually There were some things that we thought we were great at that we realized we were actually terrible at. One of those things was developing our team. We talked about being a great employer, but actually we weren't putting enough focus and support in place to really develop our team and provide structured training and career development. We were so obsessed with developing the careers of our members that we sort of neglected our team. And that was one of the big wake-ups, as well as kind of the the conflict of having a social purpose and... Commerciality. The other one was about looking outwards and looking inwards. And actually, if we're an incubator, we should be incubating our team as well as our members. And then that was a big learning for us.
1: Mm -hmm. And that process you went through. Did you do all that internally? Did you use any external support?
0: No, no. We um, we did all of that process internally. Historically, we have a business coach. She has helped us through the years in key moments in our development of bringing us together and organizing and managing those meetings. But because of the the nature of the pandemic and where we were, we, we actually managed that all ourselves. And, you know, it was good because I had time to pause. I had time to kind of help manage this process. Petra, who'd been out of the business for over a year was suddenly back in and was able to assist as well. So we had lots of different views, lots of different opinions, lots of different voices. And I think that was really important. That everyone had their say and everyone was listened to and felt heard and it wasn't always easy to hear as the ceo it's never it's never particularly comfortable to have the direction of the is going in critiqued but i think it is important and i don't think we would have done that at that time had it not been for the pandemic mm-hmm.
1: now now um From what you've said, I could almost get the sense that you were kind of almost at the same time grappling with what's our purpose and then what's our strategy. Was it that way or was it more we spent some time thinking about our purpose once we were clear about that, then we started thinking about what's the strategy, how do we make it happen? Well, we had a pretty clear short-term strategy at the
0: beginning of 2020 with the opening of our food hall in Seven Dials. That was kind of our long-term goal five years prior to that. That was the culmination of five years work was to have a bricks and mortar site that was our own and could be the home of Curb, so to speak. So we just achieved that. And the the plan was to kind of stabilise for a year or two and kind of grow into this new world where we had 24,000 square foot space in central London and a lot more attention on us. But actually, our strategy now has been formed out of what happened during the pandemic and how we reorganized our business and split it into those three companies. So because of the pause to business, we were able to redefine our purpose and create a new strategy for growth.
1: Mm -hmm. As you went through that process, what, if anything, surprised you? What occurred that you thought, wow, hadn't thought that would come up? Well, I think it was
0: the creation of an actual social enterprise. I think it was one of the things Petra was pushing for very early on was like, The world's changing. She actually was talking a lot at the beginning of 2020 about the need for us as a society to appreciate our food and where it comes from, that it's not a never-ending supply and there were going to be issues ahead. And she was also pushing for the fact that we should maybe make our whole business a social enterprise. And I was like, hang on a minute. (laughs) That's not what I signed up to here as CEO. And was very kind of defensive about that idea initially. But the more we talked about it, I got quite excited by it. I'm quite passionate about helping people develop their careers and giving opportunities to people who may not have otherwise had an opportunity. We've done some work with some of the organizations that refer people to us now for the social enterprise over the previous years. And we've had some really big success stories, just sort of quietly without really focusing on it or having it as as a key pillar. And actually, the more we talked about it, the more energized I became by the idea of having more of a social purpose within our business. And then what I saw was the rest of the team also really energized behind this idea. And it really brought us together during a tricky phase where everyone got really excited by this in a way that I hadn't seen people excited for a while. And it came from an unexpected place. I didn't ever envisage that that would be the thing that really galvanized our leadership team and excited them about coming out of the pandemic and almost starting again. And that was even more evident when we told the rest of the team. We've incorporated this social enterprise, we've got a trading entity, we've refocused that money. But as we start to think about how we grow that and how we do more, people across the business are asking to get involved. And wanting to know what's next and everyone sort of wants to go faster. And it's a great thing to see that, the way that that's galvanized people. And that was really unexpected. I did not expect that. I thought initially it was kind of, how do we save this business? You know, when our revenues literally stopped overnight, how do we save it? But what came out of the pandemic was a much better business with a much more clearly defined purpose and an energized team. I almost feel embarrassed to say it sometimes, you know. So many people have had such a shocking pandemic and it's been so detrimental to so many businesses and the fact that we've weathered the storm and definitely come out of the other side a much stronger business much more successful business i'm almost embarrassed by that
1: Hmm. you said earlier it's it's always difficult as a ceo to sort of have your thinking you know what you're doing challenge beyond that was there anything that was difficult
0: no i I think we had a lot of difficult conversations within that time You know, it's difficult for me to have the founder initially back in the business, having been out of the business for a year, which was always the plan, you know, for her to be out of the business. But to parachute back in again, you know, initially was challenging, then was very appreciated. I think there was a lot of soul searching between all of us about what we do, how we do it, why we're doing it. And that is always tricky. You know, we lost some people, you know, been with Curb for a while, a couple that just saw it as the right time to move on, and a few that we were forced to leave just through necessity financially. There were lots of tricky moments throughout that period, lots of uncomfortable moments. But for me, it was about focusing on the other side and coming out of it and building a better organisation and taking those learnings.
1: Mm -hmm. And how were you personally changed through the process? What have you learned along the way?
0: I've learned a lot about how I work best. I was one of these people that was obsessed with being in the office you know i've got two young children and i i'd always oh, i can't work from home that's not for me not because i don't believe in it we've always encouraged flexible working in our organisation so that hasn't changed but for me personally i was like no i can't work from home i can't concentrate i need to be in the office i need to be visible i need to be around people the biggest learning for me is actually i'm very very efficient when i work from home and When you grow like we've grown and you've got lots of people, actually being in the office is quite difficult. You get dragged around, you get pulled into meetings. I now have changed my whole working life, I suppose. Um, One by, I now work from home every Monday, something I never, ever thought would happen. I built a home office and Monday is probably my most efficient day where I actually stop and take myself out of the office and have the headspace and the time to think, not being in the kind of hamster wheel of day-to-day office life. And that was a big learning for me as a person. Secondly, I think the time I had with my family, my young family, I really enjoyed and appreciated. I've got a much more flexible work-life balance now. I still do the school run in the morning two or three times a week, which I never did. You know, pre-pandemic, you know, I would get those questions from my son. Why do you never take me to school, daddy? And now I really value that time and enjoy that time. And I've recreated my work life around that to make sure I don't miss those moments and I can... Spend more time with my kids. I think I've realized that there's more to life and to work than growth and financial gain. And for me, certainly, I have found this new purpose that our business has incredibly motivating. And actually, we've just about to double down on it. We are working on a project in San Francisco. You know, San Francisco has a huge homelessness, drug abuse poverty problem, you know, huge disparity of wealth. And we saw some amazing social enterprise and charity projects built around food and the food economy that really inspired us to bring some of that back to the UK. I'm as motivated by that and creating something really impactful for Londoners as I am about driving the business now, I, I, I literally see my time split 50, 50 between the two.
1: Right, oh, that's interesting and when when you reflect on you know who you are as a person is there more you'd like to have either in your strategy or in your purpose
0: no i think i've always had a passion for creating an entity a business that really wants to be different and make a difference that's one of the things that attracted me to curb in the first place was the opportunity to kind of create that with a blank piece of paper and a a blank template and i'm incredibly driven by creating that great place to work one of the key things we were missing pre-pandemic was we weren't looking at our team we thought we were a great place to work because we've got a really cool office and we've got all the usual perks like gym membership and cycle to work scheme and everyone you know hangs out and is really friendly but that's all very superficial and actually the things we've changed over the last two years is really looking at what we offer our team and is that you know, a superficial perk? Or is that something that people really value? And we've ended up taking away some of the perks and replaced them with more important and impactful measures like mental health support and structured training. We used to think we were great because we offered everyone a really decent individual personal budget to spend each year on training and they could spend it on whatever they wanted. And everyone thought, oh, that's great. You know, when we hired people, what a lovely perk. I've got this budget and I can use it on whatever we want. What actually happened was no one spent it because they got busy and they didn't know where to spend it. No one was helping them to spend it and no one was really encouraging them to spend it. What we've done now is taken that away completely and said that pot still exists, but we're going to help you. And some people actually can have a bit more money because this course or the scheme or the project that we want them to go through is more expensive than someone else. And that's not based on hierarchy or, or length of service. That's just based on the individual. But really focusing on individual career development paths and how we can create, you know, the best workforce with the most opportunities. That's been a big change as well, and actually accepting as well that sometimes people need to move on to further their career. You know, I was one of these people that would always take it very personally if someone left, but actually, if we really do value people and we care about them. Sometimes, what's best for an individual, however great they are, however much you like them on a personal level, is to move on. Particularly if we don't have that, the right opportunity for that person. And actually, that should be celebrated. You know, I shouldn't feel damaged or hurt by that. And I shouldn't feel embarrassed to tell the rest of the team we should celebrate it if someone moves on for a better opportunity.
1: It just just sounds like a much more grown up approach to that whole issue of people who stays, who goes. Um, I think it's really healthy.
0: Yeah. And I think for me, this has been growing up. This is my first role as a CEO and a lot of learning on the job and personal development over the years. And I think that's one of the big things for me is that I've learned about teams and development. I think it's made me a better leader and also us a better company coming out of the pandemic.
1: Mm. What advice, if any, would you give to a, a business leader wrestling with their own organization's purpose?
0: Well, I would say a clearly defined purpose is essential to any organization. I always quote this when I'm talking to people, the organization I worked for before I joined Kerb, um, and they no longer exist, so I can talk about it quite freely, was not a good place to work. They had no clear purpose at all, other than financial gain. It was an event company, and the structure of the business was very cyclical. So it was almost like Groundhog Day, that you, know, you ran this 12-month plan, and then you did it again, and you tried to beat the last 12-month plan. There was no career development. There was no investment in people. There was no value put on people. Everyone was a commodity and everyone was dispensable. And it made it very soulless. And there was a huge churn there of people because of that. And, you know, I always feel like sometimes the best way to learn is to see how not to do things. And I learned a lot there about how not to run a business, how not to lead a business. And when I had this opportunity, you know, one of the first things I said was, we're going to try and do everything exactly the opposite. You know, we didn't have a purpose, we need to have a strong purpose. And actually, I joined the company because they did have a strong purpose. I was a fan of Curb, I believed in Curb, I believed in Petra. A lot of that groundwork was absolutely there. You know, the business has evolved and we've redefined our purpose. But it's always been a very purpose-driven company, and that is what attracted me, and I think that's what's attracted A lot of our team and that's why we have such a great team and such a motivated team so one yes have a very clear purpose secondly try and create a genuine culture within your organization you know we take our culture very seriously we have a culture manual that everyone gets when they start working for curb no matter where you are whether you're in head office or you're at one of our locations that defines our mission the pillars of our organization our values everyone's very clear about how we operate and we have one core value that kind of underpins everything we do which is treat the ceo and the janitor the same and it's very clear and i think that underpins the whole way our organization works is everyone's treated the same everyone gets treated with respect there's no vips a great example of this recently was i was taking my family to our food hall on a saturday and I, i mentioned it to our general manager and he's like, oh, you know, would you like me to reserve you a table? And and actually stopped himself afterwards and I stopped him as well. And was like, absolutely not. You know, we don't offer that to anyone else. I'm not taking that myself. And everyone in the organization talks to each other in the same way. I would never want anyone to talk to me any differently than you would anyone in our organization. And I'm the same, you know, I lead in that way. I talk to everyone in the organization, top to bottom, in exactly the same way. Everyone gets treated with the same level of respect. No one is better than everyone else. Everyone's opinion is valid. And we really try and create that culture of honesty. We encourage everyone to be very forthright. We try and be as honest as a leadership team with the rest of our team as we can. We have a monthly team meeting. We do a monthly survey of our team. We call it the happiness survey and we measure how happy you are at work. And every month we ask anonymously, is there anything else you'd like to ask us? And we actually put all those questions up on the screen at every team meeting however challenging they are unless there's something that is not appropriate you know we would always put it on the screen unless there's a really strong reason why we shouldn't and we answer those questions as honestly as we can in front of the whole team because that yeah. is how you create genuine trust in an organization you know our financials are shared with the team on a monthly basis good or bad really that's interesting yeah, absolutely yeah i've always believed in that you have to be honest with your team about your performance and their impact on your performance and how things are going. So we share on the screen how the happiness survey has scored that month. And actually, you know, it's a great way of gauging the temperature in the room. And you can almost tell, you know, when there's a negative survey result, it's because we've just been through a big growth spurt or it's been a really busy time and we've, we're have we overstretched and we're trying to get new people in. Um, and, it, and it really communicates through it. It's good to acknowledge it and say, you know what guys, the survey results this month really weren't good and we're sorry about that and we hear you and we're going to do x y and z to make it better because we want you to be happy at work and, and i always say that to people you know it's a cliche but you spend more time at work than you do at home most of the time i always tell my team the day you don't enjoy coming to work every day is the day you should resign you know that is why i left the last organization i had a great job i was very well paid i did not enjoy it and i genuinely enjoy every single day now, despite being under much more pressure, having much more responsibility. I'm actually sat recording this podcast in our meditation room in our office. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Which we created when we moved into our new office because we wanted people to have a space where they could kind of remove themselves from the office and relax and unwind. And you know, if they're having a stressful day, have a kind of little room where you could just go and switch off for a bit. And there's books and there's headphones and iPads and things like that in here to give people that escape from the grind if they are feeling a little bit overwhelmed.
1: Yeah. Is there anything I haven't asked you about or anything you'd like to explore that we haven't touched on?
0: I could tell you a story of of how, you know, having a very clear purpose can help with commercial success. So being an incubator and creating opportunity for independent London food and drink brands within a matter of days, maybe weeks, we received the tender for the exclusive catering rights at the Royal National Theatre on the South Bank in London. Huge, iconic cultural institution. And on the first kickoff call with the National Theatre, they said that as part of this tender, what they really wanted to achieve was to be a showcase of London, everything that's great of London, and to really celebrate entrepreneurial young London. And the minute they said that, I knew we were going to win the tender. Despite being by far the smallest organisation that was asked to tender, despite having no experience running a contract like the National Theatre, I just knew that because our purpose was so clearly defined, we had to be the right partner. And so it was that we won that contract. You know, it's the biggest thing we've ever done. You know, we're running seven theatre bars every day, we run a pub, we've got a very small kind of mini food hall, we've got two restaurants, We've got massive outside activation with six street food vendors, three bars, um, an event space that does hundreds of events every year, a staff canteen. And through all of that, we are celebrating our purpose. So on the bars at the National Theatre, where you might have historically had a bottle of Peroni and a Smirnoff vodka and a Schweppes lemonade, you now get served a Gypsy Hill beer made in South London. You will get a Square Root soda made in East London and you'll get a a gin from East London Liquor Company. Your coffee will be made by hay in Bermondsey down the road. Everything is super local. The vendors are all super local. The restaurateurs are all super local. They're all independent businesses. We've really won that contract, A, by having a very strong purpose, but B, then delivered on that purpose in the most impactful way. And it's a huge celebration of everything that is great about independent London food and drink now. And we are incredibly proud of it. And had we not redefined ourselves, I don't think we would have had that opportunity.
1: Simon, you know what I I really love about everything you've said around this whole issue of purpose? You've taken the purpose and you've put it absolutely into the core of the business. It feels to me, it sounds to me from everything you're saying, it's just so interwoven with everything you're doing. I'm glad you told that National Theatre story because it, it really brings it alive.
0: Oh, absolutely i mean it it is front and center of everything we do you know one of the biggest breaks curb ever had pre-pandemic was um we won the contract to operate a huge part of camden market and the reason we are no longer in camden market is the owners of camden market asked us to replace brilliant london independent brands with their own kind of in-house brands the brilliant independent coffee operators were replaced by the camden coffee company and that just wasn't right for us. And, and despite this being the most lucrative contract we'd ever had at that point, we actually walked away from that contract because that is not in keeping with what Curb is. And we have always rigorously protected those standards and those kind of golden rules about being a celebration of independent London food and drink and an incubated accelerator of talent. That's what we care about. And everyone that works for Curb could tell you that off the tip of their tongue. And everyone that works for CURB, I think, lives that every single day they're at work. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Simon, really, thank you so much for being part of this. Thank you so much for sharing both the vision of what you're doing, but also some of the, you know, the kind of bumps along the way. It's really, really great. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at menkes.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.